glad to be here. I'm glad to just be in the house of God today. Uh, we had a great time in the Lord in our first service, and and uh, I don't know, just the presence of God. Church, we cannot lose that. I mean, I made reference made reference to our core values earlier in speaking to our seniors in the church, but but also, you know, we're a church that, that, that's founded upon the manifest presence of God. We cannot lose it. Amen? In every situation, in every circumstance, to allow God to minister as He sees fit and to be patient. And uh, as I said a while back, a, a minister friend of mine said that so many church services that he goes into where the opportunity is not even left open for a person to be obedient, uh, for the gifts to not be welcome, and, and for somebody to, you know, there's, it's so structured that it moves from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, that there's no opportunity for the Spirit of God to move. He's a gentleman, folks. He's not going to force his way in. We've got to be open and we've got to be uh, welcoming to Him. And I just thank God that in both services uh, that the Spirit of God's moving. And uh, while it may be in a little different format or whatever, I've, we've had two weeks in a row in our early services where a word has been given on a personal basis rather than in a public setting. And, and it's all been right on. And I just thank God for the moving of the Holy Spirit in our services. Uh, it's by Him that you know, Christ was raised from the dead. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now within you and I. It is with, he is within us. And He's moving through us and in this service and He's bringing change and bringing light to hearts and just opening eyes. While I understand the Word's got to be shared, we've got to have both, folks. We've got to have the Word of God spoken. We've got to have the Word of God shared and empowered and, and propelled by the Holy Spirit. But we also have got to have opportunity and time for the Spirit of God to bring an experience into our life, that experiential part of God, that, that, that relational, that uh, intimate part of Christ to minister to us. It's so vital. I know you know that. But as your pastor, I just have to remind us over and over again the, the importance of that. Amen? Amen. This morning, uh, we're going to be speaking about True North again, only this one's going to be encouraging. I'm sure some of you are going, what, the last four weeks haven't been encouraging, Pastor Bob? For those sick people like me, they are. I, I love to be challenged. I love to be, you know, the Word of God to be in my face, confrontational. And, and it's, as a pastor, you've got to step back sometimes and realize that not everybody's like you. You know what I mean? So, uh, but the truth of the matter is, is this, this wasn't my doing. This was God's doing today. Um, while the last few weeks have been kind of uh, confrontational, have been challenging, Hebrews 12 says this in verse 5, And have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when He rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those He loves and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you, you are illegitimate children and not true sons. You say, why do you say that this morning? I want to encourage you today that as we've spoken about some, some topics that uh, maybe are not popular in our culture over the last few weeks, it's been done because God is a God of love and discipline for His children. Amen. Uh, God loves you, church. He loves me. And there's nothing He wants more than for your eyes and for my eyes to be open to His mind instead of the mind and attitude of the world. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about that today, but 
but just please know as we go through this, and as we've gone through the last week, several weeks, uh, God just spoke to my heart and said that I need to remind you that you are the apple of his eye. You're his children, his precious children. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he's not only gone to the cross for you, he's not only raised from the dead for you, he didn't only shed his blood for you, but he, ever, he makes intercession for you this day. He sent his Holy Spirit to, to take something that was unclean, something that was impure and, and sinful, and, and unholy, and He allowed by His Spirit to make you a new creation and interwoven with your Spirit as His Spirit, and He is with you. He loves you. And just as a father would love his son or his daughter, and, and that son or daughter uh, would encourage them, He also brings discipline. Now, discipline wasn't towards you. It was, it was a mindset for myself, for you as well, to challenge ourselves because how many of us know we live in this world, though we're not of this world, this world is pretty influential, isn't it? And there's, a, there's the voice of the serpent, as I've said for weeks, still speaking, and many of us have accepted some of it and believed some of it. And as your pastor and, and as the Holy Spirit has led over the last, last several weeks, it's been important and vital to your spiritual health and to my spiritual health to be able to do these things. But today, I want to share with you that, that not only is there discipline, there's trials, there's things we face and things we go through that God allows us to go through. If you turn to Matthew chapter 16, I want to encourage you this morning that if you're in a trial as we look at this, what is true north amidst a trial and, and, and what we're enduring in our lives I want to encourage you that when God says, I'll never leave you, never forsake you, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's, he's your God, folks. He's not going to desert you. He's not going to throw you out to the dogs. He's not going to just spit on you. He's not going to stick His nose in the air and ignore your prayers. And many of us have been at different times in our lives where we've, we've expected or thought to ourselves, wow, God just is disgusted and sickened by me. Has anybody ever been there other than myself? <laughs> We, anytime we come to recognize our humanity and our sinfulness apart from Christ, uh, there's always a humility there that says, God surely doesn't like me, doesn't love me. God's probably so sickened by me and disappointed by me that there's no hope. But I want to tell you this morning that the, the enemy would have us to question who God is. The enemy would have us to look at God with disdain or with disgust and, and doubt his character and his nature. And there's a true north in this this morning. The true north is that God is God and we are man, church. In light of our trials, God is God and we are man. Look with me, Matthew 16, verse 13, passage of scripture that you know very well. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, what do you, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside again, began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. 
Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So this morning I want to look at Peter a little bit and some of the experiences that he's been through and and what's going on in this whole situation. Uh, As I kind of establish where we're going with this, Peter's not different from us. Peter is probably more like us than any of the disciples in the Bible. I mean, he just, he's the one that's you know, quick to obey, but quick to open his mouth and stick his foot in it. Uh, Peter has gotten a bad rap by Christians all over the world for 2,000 plus years. And, and I want to tell you this morning, Peter is no different than you and I. Uh, Peter, <laughs> Peter goes from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows in just a few verses. He, he's, he's spoken to by the Spirit of God confirming in his soul that this really is the Messiah. That voice I heard when he was baptized or that, that, that uh, proclamation that John the Baptist had, all those things that were said over and over and over early in the, the, uh, in the Gospels where Jesus was clarified as, as the Messiah, finally it settled into Peter's mind. And he's like, well, yeah, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus goes on and he makes these big promises. And he says, hey, look, you are a rock and I'm going to build my church on you. And tells him all this great stuff. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The gates of hell shall not stand against you. And all this stuff. All the kind of stuff that will make us go into Holy Spirit dance. You know what I'm saying? Where God, God places a call in his life. And then from that, all of a sudden, we see Peter now, all of a sudden standing there, where Jesus says, okay, now I'm going to have to go suffer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And he rebukes Jesus. You say, what does this have to do with me today? It's very simple, church. We live in a day and age where people will make a path and choose a path that they think is right and we know leads to death, right? We've talked about that. Don't create a God in your mind and demand Him to conform to who you think He is. I'll say it again. Don't create a God in your mind and then de- demand Him to conform to who you think He is. God is a great I am. He's ever existent. He's never changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't care who you think He is. He is. Amen? He doesn't care what you think is best and what is right. He is. Now, now Peter is like us. He gets a call in his life, and he's excited. And then all of a sudden, he begins to rebuke God. Now, I want to say this. I remember at age 13 when God called me into ministry. I was excited. I thought, well, this is what I'm going to do. I was scared. I was a little nervous. And then I fell flat on my face. And God has not called us into a microwave-ready world that says, I've called you into ministry. Now you're ready. Go for it. How many of us know there's some teaching, there's some training we have to go through? Peter was prophesied to be the rock, but he was still just a pebble in the kingdom of God. He was frustrating. He, 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 he was quick to rebuke the Son of God. He knew He was the Messiah. He just proclaimed Him to be the Messiah. And then He looks at Him and rebukes Him because Jesus' Messiahship, I guess if you want to call it that, did not fit what Peter wanted. He says, but whoa, 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 whoa. You can't go and suffer. That will never happen to you. That won't happen to you. Oh, how we are so quick to judge God. How are we so quick to be be quick to rebuke God? God, you cannot give me this illness. God, you cannot make me go through this trial. 
God, you cannot take my job. God, you cannot hurt my finances, God. Lord, you can't do this. You can't do that. God, you can't inflict pain on me in this way. Lord, you can't do that. Well, because why? Because the enemy would have us to believe that we live in, in a place of comfort. And that's God's will. You see, Peter looked at Jesus and saw the Messiah to come to come and set up his kingdom and reign forever and to set up his kingdom on this earth and that nothing would come against it and that once now this Messiah is here, it's all good for us. We have no more problems and now he's going to rule and reign. We're going to rule and reign with him. Oh, but I'm going to go suffer. Whoa, 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 wait a second. That's not the plan, Jesus. And Jesus says it is the plan. Get behind me, Satan. You have the things of man in mind and not the things of God. I used to tell people, and I've said before, uh, if you're mad at God, you just will go ahead and tell him because he already knows what you're thinking. Uh, but then God corrected me on that this last week, and he said, don't you dare open your mouth against me. Who do you think you are opening your mouth against me? You may feel that way, but don't you need to have a little bit of honor towards your Savior? I said it in ignorance, Lord. <laughs> For a person to be quick to rebuke God when he hasn't conformed to what we think he should have been, it only reveals our hearts. It reveals who we are, this faithless, unbelieving attitude, the unbelieving that caused Christ to suffer and to be grieved, the unbelieving attitude and faithless attitude that grieves the Holy Spirit within us, inside of us as we're faithless and as we're angry at God because things didn't work out exactly like we thought they should work out. You say, why are you doing this true north, Pastor Bob? It's not a morality issue. It really kind of is, folks. This isn't something that you're going to hear on CNN. This isn't a, a trivial aspect that's ever going to be proclaimed uh, through our school system or through our government or in the news media. But I'm telling you today, in God's eyes, for us to be unbelieving because He hasn't conformed to who we think He should be rather than who He is, is a dangerous, dangerous place to dwell. You see, for Peter, we know that he became that rock. Didn't he? He became that rock. But if he would have remained in a carnal mindset, if he would have remained in an attitude toward Christ and toward God that was carnal, that says, hey, my life is, should be pleasing, then he would have become a Judas Iscariot. Judas, who thought, wow, everything's going to work out this way. I'm going to turn Christ in. I'm going to make a little money. And I'm going to force him to set his kingdom up like he said he would. I'm going to force him to do this. But the truth of the matter, folks, it is not how it worked out. All of a sudden, wow, Jesus is really dead. Wow, Judas, it didn't really work out like I thought it was going to work out in my mind. Satan had entered into him and he continued with that fleshly, carnal mindset and he's going to press the kingdom of God into the world and all of a sudden he's gone, he's dead. Instead of repenting, what did he do? He killed himself. Church, we cannot make God conform and fit into a box like we want. We have to see who God is in light of the Word of God because if we don't look at Him in light of this book right here, we run ourselves down a dangerous, dangerous path. Amen? So secondly this morning, first, true north in light of trials and things that we face in our lives is God is God and we are man. and it doesn't, it, it, he's, <laughs> he's not going to change to fit what we want. 
I promise this is going to be encouraging here in just a few minutes. Secondly, true north, uh, as, as we get into the second part of it, I guess, i got three more points to make. I want to make them out of this passage of Scripture. If you turn to Luke 22, we see Jesus eating, preparing and eating the Passover meal with the disciples. He addresses the fact that he's going to die and his betrayer. Uh, he settles a dispute about who's greater in the kingdom of heaven. Then he teaches them that he's conferred the kingdom onto them, giving them all this wonderful stuff. And then in the middle of it all, all these, this teaching, this, this promise and everything else, in the middle of it, <laughs> Peter gets this from Jesus. Luke 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times, deny three times that you know me. My point, number two point, based upon these passages of Scripture, that's where we're going to stay the rest of the time, is the true north is, is that, that we are war, at war, folks. We are at war. 2 Corinthians 10, it's on the screen, we'll say this. Verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. It's easy for us to get angry at God in different circumstances because we have forgotten that we're at war. We don't fight like the world fights. We fight a spiritual battle. Amen. Our war is not against flesh and blood. We know that. But we're at war. And what the enemy wants you to do is to forget that you're at war. And how does he make us forget we're at war? We're comfortable. Everybody wants to be comfortable. You know what, church, over the last few weeks, not everybody's been comfortable in this sanctuary. And I don't mean the heat and the, the, the cold, I mean the message. It's not a comfortable thing to hit the topics we've hit over the last four weeks, is it? Some of you said, I didn't need to hear that. Come on, lighten up a little bit, folks. It's okay. It's all going to get good, I promise. The enemy wants us to be comfortable, and in America, we are the most comfortable nation on the face of the earth. My electricity went off for all of five minutes to ten, to ten minutes last, uh, yesterday in the middle of cooking supper. I was frying bacon. Can I get an amen? Let's just rest in the presence of that for a second. Bacon. Bacon tomato sandwiches, fresh garden tomatoes. Can't beat that. And I was, I was frying up some zucchini. Hmm. And all of my electricity went out. <laughs> oh, and Alyssa was sweeping. And we were doing laundry. But anyway, it went out and I'm like, so I hurried up and I thought I'd save it and I threw it all in the grill. I, put it, I, I rigged it up and I had it still frying. I'm like, yeah. I don't like to be inconvenienced, folks. We don't like to be uncomfortable, do we? The one thing about a war, I'll share this with you. I have been to um, Patriots Point, which is down in South Carolina, I believe. Neat place. I encourage you, encourage you to go. Is that Charleston, honey? It's Charleston. 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 It's kind of like, uh, anyway. Charleston. 
It's kind of like Worcestershire sauce, isn't it? Nobody can say it. <laughs> Charleston, Patriots Point, Charleston. There's an um, aircraft carrier there. There's a submarine there. There's a battleship there. There's a naval base uh, replica of one that was in Vietnam. Uh, I, have, I have seen the inside of helicopters. I have seen the inside of tanks. I've seen the inside of military vehicles. I've been in those ships. I have been in all those places. I have been in that one, the Navy uh, set up the one from Vietnam. I've been inside those buildings, outside of those buildings. I've walked that place. I have even checked out the toilet like they had it in Vietnam. I'm going to tell you something. One thing our military does not do is design things for comfort. <laughs> you want to know why? We're at war. And if you're comfortable, you forget the threat that's going on around you. There is no, if we, had, if we had all of our military things and it was all set up with these plush lounge chairs and couches and televisions and video games and all the best of everything in the world, which I know they have some of that stuff, but there is this not a focus for us to focus on those things, but for us to focus on the real task at hand and the tendency for us in American Christians is to forget the task at hand and embrace the comfort. We've forgotten that we're at war. And when you forget that you're at war, you think there should never be an attack. It happened 10 years ago on 9-11, didn't it, folks? We had no idea we were at war. Never mind the bombing a few years earlier. Never mind all the threats and everything else. Ah, that could never happen. I'm going to tell you what. People have 9-11 experiences in their spirit and in their life all the time because they forget they're at war. And they love comfort. And I'm going to tell you what, what comfort brings into our lives. If you remember the rich, young, the rich man in Lazarus who laid at his gate covered with sores, and he goes, and, and, and Lazarus is taken to Abraham's bosom, the rich man is in hell, and they look across, and he's saying all these things, I just want to drop water on my tongue. And Abraham looks at him, and he says, Look, your whole life you've had everything you've wanted. Lazarus is here now receiving the comfort he did not receive on earth. You see, church, it is a morality issue. You see, we have to look and realize that there is an enemy that desires to sift us as wheat. And as long as we walk through our lives and we ignore and don't think about the fact that this is going on and we ignore the war that's around us, we're in danger. The true north is, folks, is there is a war going on around us and we have to be ready and willing to recognize that there's an enemy at hand. Excitingly, this is really cool. Not only did he say the enemy has, is, is there to sift you as wheat, the cool part is, is the enemy said the enemy is there to ask to sift you as wheat. <laughs> not only do we not fight with, with uh, natural uh, flesh and blood things against our enemy, but our enemy can't even fight us like a regular enemy would fight. He's got to ask permission. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. You see, this is the good thing. You ready? As a child of God... If you face a trial, it's got to go through the God filter, man. The enemy's got to ask. And what that means is if the enemy's got to ask to hurt you or to harm you or put you through a trial, then God's got a purpose for it. If God's got an okay thing for it and God is good and God's, there's not anything evil in God, he looks at you and says, I love this child, I'm going to help this child. Sure, you can afflict him. Consider my servant Job. Satan so says, well, you won't even let me touch him you got a protection around him. You won't let me do anything. He said, okay. He said, you can do, do anything you want, but you can't touch him physically. God puts limits on what the enemy can do to us. While we're in a battle, while we're in war, they, can't, they don't just have free reign to attack however he wants to attack. God says, okay, I'll let you do this. But that's it. No more. No further. 
And then with Job, we saw in the, in the, the Word of God where it was clear. He said, okay, he said, he'll, surely if you let me afflict him physically, he'll curse you. God said, no, uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you afflict him physically, but you can't, you can't kill him. So, so Satan takes everything, sends boils. The only thing he leaves is a nagging wife that says, curse God and die. I can imagine Satan's going, I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. <laughs> I'll leave her. <laughs> I think I could use you yet. <laughs> Husbands, don't be looking at your wives. So, so all these things happen, and, and we know that, that he, he left with more. And God loves us, and regardless of what He brings into our lives, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. Everybody say, faithful. faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. With Job, he knew what he could bear. He knew. And what's the point if he would have killed Job? What's the point then? Because he wouldn't have had to go through the test. He would have entered his reward. He was a righteous man. Job could take everything, even death. You say, why do you say that? Because even if they kill us, they can't kill us. Like Pastor Mark always used to say over and over, even if you kill me, you can't kill me. My friends, whatever it goes through, I'm telling you, even if it leads to death, you are still in the hand of God. If there's a trial, yes, you're at war. Don't you dare forget it. But know this, that the enemy's got to ask before he, he casts some kind of an onslaught on you. Got to ask permission. What a sissy. Please, may I hurt your kids? All right. But you can't kill them. Okay. Some would say, well, he's a deceiver and a liar. How do you know he's going to obey God? How do you know? He, because look, God is God. He doesn't have a choice but to obey. He has to. You read the book of Job. Did he obey God? Yeah, he had to. He did all of it. He couldn't, he couldn't kill him until God says, he couldn't even touch him until God said, go ahead and touch him. And then he touched him and he still couldn't kill him. Secondly, this morning in light of this same passage, true north is that we aren't abandoned in our trial. The humorous thing about this is he said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And uh, then he just looked at Peter and said, but I have prayed for you. <laughs> well, gee, thanks. What's that mean? You, you didn't tell him no? <laughs> Maybe you could have told him, no, Lord. No, he said, no, but I've prayed for you. And here's the thing. Everybody always focuses on the prayer thing. I want you to know this. I don't want to focus on prayed for you. I want to know, focus on the I. I have prayed for you. I have. I have. Not just anybody. Me, Messiah, the Son of the living God. I have prayed for you. In the, in the mentality in our, our day and age today is when somebody says, I'll pray for you, that means they're not there. That means they're off somewhere else. That means they're thinking of you. Yes, that's a nice thing, but I'll pray for you. This is the Messiah. I have prayed for you. You see, we all have this mentality of comfort that says, you know, like Psalm 23, that he's going to lead us beside still water. He's going to quiet our souls and all that stuff about Jesus. But we forget that he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We forget that he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He doesn't say, folks, that we're never going to have a trial. But he says he's going to walk through it with us, amen? And he's going to prepare for us a table for, in front of our enemies. He's going to mock the enemy by feeding us and having fellowship when we're surrounded. And not only that, he said, then I'm going to anoint your head with oil in front of him. 
And I'm going to fill you with, your, with the Spirit. And I'm going to cause your cup to overflow right in front of the enemy while he's around you. It's okay, church, if we're in trials because we are not abandoned. We are not left alone. In the scripture where it says, His rod and His staff, they comfort me, it doesn't mean Jesus hands it to you and says, See ya, I'm going to pray for you. It means He's beside you with His rod of, 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 uh, of discipline and with His staff, with the protection a shepherd would take, and He would lead us through that valley. He's with us. Whatever the trial is, there's no fear. The enemy would have you to think that you're alone, that you should be afraid. The world would say there is no God and He's not with you. Curse God and die. Sound familiar? I'm here to tell you though, just as He prayed for Peter, He's praying for you today. Tell me, I have prayed for you. Have you ever had somebody stop and pray for you? Have you ever had somebody stop their busy schedule of all the things going on in their lives and stop and take two minutes to show up at your house, to take your hand, to take you out to a meal, to stop in a car and say, hey, look, I know you're going through something, man. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you right now. It's encouraging, isn't it? It's encouraging on Thursdays to do visitation, go to people's homes and and see them and talk with them and pray with them. They're encouraged by that. Can I tell you today that the God of the universe sets aside some of his agenda and says, I have prayed for you. I am praying for you. Hebrews says that he, he lives to make intercession for us. That's our high priest. I prayed for a prostitute the other day. An ex-prostitute. It was on accident, folks. I had no idea. Gentlemen, if you're in a car by yourself and there's a lady walking down the road in the middle of nowhere, don't, be, don't even slow down to ask if they're okay because they jump in before you even know what happened. And in the journey to where we're going, I find out that she's going to jail for prostitution soon and the police know her face. Every time they see her, they ask her, well, she's turning a trick and she's about to get out of a pastor's car. I told April, soon I said, honey, I really messed up. I shouldn't have slowed down. I said, my mentality to want to help people and be nice, sometimes I backfire on you. I'm going, Lord, you know my heart. You know my heart. I said, you know, can I, can I pray with you with these next two blocks before you get out? She looked at me and she's like, yeah. It's like, Lord, bless her name. Went through and prayed for her and, and prayed for her life. And she said, thank you and got out of the car. And man, I drove with the windows down. It was awful. Smell, gosh. People live horribly, folks. But I prayed for her in the same time I planted a seed there, believing that God's going to make something grow in her life. She said she knew the Lord after she found out as a pastor, but of course everybody tells you that just so you won't go through the whole spiel of ministering to them. But listen to this. Jesus even said, he told his disciples in John 14... He says, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. My friend, whatever trial you're going through, begin to look for Jesus because He sent His Holy Spirit. You are not alone. You're not an abandoned orphan. The enemy would tell you that you are in the midst of a trial, but you're not. Thirdly, well, fourthly and lastly, true north 
is this, that there's a purpose for your suffering. James 1 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Did you know a natural trial can do a spiritual work in your soul? Here's the cool thing about not fighting against flesh and blood. The enemy, all he can really do is fight against our flesh and blood, can't he? I'll afflict his flesh just like he did with Job, but what did he do? God worked a spiritual work that he couldn't stop. True? If you're suffering, it's for a purpose. So that when you return, everybody say when. Just take a pencil or something or a pen and underline when in your Bible. Because Jesus didn't pray with some kind of a lack of faith. He said when. The enemy says if. If you return. But Jesus said when you return. You say, why do you say that? Because some of us have allowed ourselves to go through trials and struggles that have been our own stupidity. Let's be honest. Peter's, he had given every opportunity. Jesus warned him what was going to happen. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, why don't you pray? Why don't you pray so that you will not fall into temptation? And he chose not to pray. And then he cuts off the, the guard's ear and all that stuff happens. And now he's denying Jesus. And we're seeing all this stuff carry out. And it's easy for us to point at them and say, look how Peter was silly. How many times have you and I been silly and stupid with our lives? But Jesus says, but hey, even if it's your own hand, even if it's your own silliness, even if you've fallen, even if you failed in the midst of that sifting, even in the trial you haven't done exactly what you wanted to do, even if you embarrassed yourself, you embarrassed me, you embarrassed your family, when you have turned back, when, when you turn back to me and you repent of it, then you go strengthen your brothers. You see, there's, there's a double-edged sword there. There's the turning back, and then there's the encouraging the others. How many of us have ever been encouraged when somebody else has gone through something to sit down and say, sweetie, I don't know. I don't know what you're going through. I, I, can't, I haven't been through it exactly, but I know pain in my life. Let me share what God's done for me. Let me share how there was a few years back when, when this happened and, and that happened and I began to question God and I began to get fearful and then I thought, oh no, there's, there's going to be a bad end to this and, and, and I started to struggle and I made some bad choices and bad decisions and then I looked up and I realized how wrong I was and I repented and God forgave me and now I'm standing before you today to show you how He's restored me, how He's blessed me, how He's helped me walk through the valley of the shadow of death, how He's prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies, how He's mocked them by filling me with the Holy Spirit and my cup is overflowing in front of them and he's saying look you want to attack them that's fine but I'm going to anoint him and he's going to be ready for it I can tell you over and over and over and over again how people have encouraged me I've been able to encourage people on the other side of the trial it is not here to destroy you it is here to strengthen you he is not here to destroy you. I don't care what it is. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what the doctor said. I don't care what the society's telling you. I don't care what the outlook is. My friend, I'm telling you, if you are a child of God, if you have surrendered your life to the King, everything's got to go through Him. Everything's got to have His yes on it. And His yes has boundaries. And the enemy cannot go outside of those boundaries. And God's boundaries will not destroy you. Amen. It will strengthen you. Peter had a choice. Will I hear this? Will I receive it? And when I have returned, will I encourage others? Here's what the enemy wants you to do after you've gone through a trial, after you've made some mistakes, after you've been silly and stupid. What he wants you to do is to remain silent. Protect your ego. Protect what it is that you've said and done because what will people think of you? 
Who are you to speak into somebody's life, oh great Christian, with this problem? Peter's been beat up by those people for way too long. Are you encouraged by Peter's mistake today? We have a Savior that not only prayed for him, but he prays for us. And that sentence doesn't end with an if, it's a when you have returned. And there is a purpose. There is an encouragement that will take place. Is some of it your fault? Probably. As Amber comes, is some of it your fault? Probably. Could you have done things differently? Probably. Could you have not said that? Probably. But like Peter, do you still have a promise on your life? Yes. Is God developing you to fulfill that promise? Most definitely. I'm just crazy enough to believe that even in our immaturity, even at times when we've done things that are silly, that God still will take it and use it to develop us. I'm just that crazy. Now, does that mean we run out and do it? Absolutely not. (laughs) But it's there to encourage you that even when you've made failures, to know that God's there and He's fixing it. Not just taking away the problems, but, but molding and shaping you and preparing you for leadership in this war that we are in. So my friend, when you get angry, and a trial comes and you're angry at God and so you can't do this, that's not my God. Remember that over the last few weeks, there are people that accepted the teachings that the Word preaches against because their God is a loving and merciful God and doesn't believe that their God would punish sin. It's a dangerous path. Don't get angry at God and throw a temper tantrum. Why? Because that's okay for a two-year-old. Right? Temper tantrums are a little bit cute when they're two. By the time they get four, it's a little not quite as cute anymore. By the time they get six, it's really lost its cuteness. And by the time they get eight, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 21, 26, 30 years old, if they're still throwing those angry temper tantrums, it's quite disgusting. There's mercy with God, folks. And He does know your heart. But as we mature and grow, we should stand and understand and get to a point to where there's a calm amidst the storm because we have faith in the one who is faithful. So Pastor Bob, are you judging me because I've been struggling with this and frustrated? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, we're going to have prayer right now. And I'm going to open these altars up for everybody. I mean, anybody wants to come seek the Lord for any reason you can, I'm going to open those altars up. And if you're here and you have a need, say you're going through a trial or you have a family member that's struggling with something or if you have something that you can encourage somebody with and you just need the strength to be able to do it, we're going to come alongside you and pray with you. Not only has Jesus prayed for you, but I pray for you. And your friends and the people that will gather around you will pray for you. We will not leave you. We'll walk through this with you. Whatever it is. So that when you come through it, you'll strengthen others. Amen? Even if it was only by your own foolishness that you got in this situation. <laughs> God is able to take the messes that we make in our lives and use them for good. Amen? You stand with me this morning.